kind of gave a command about receiving of communion, he didn't set a specific, a specific timeline when you have to do it, how often, how soon. By the way, as uh, this is past today, you can just hold on to your elements and uh, we'll partake together here at the end. He didn't necessarily give a prescription as, to far, as far as how often that was to happen. Um, but here's what he says, and this is out of 1 Corinthians. He received uh, the bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, Jesus is saying, do this uh, to remember me as often as you drink it. And then it goes on to say, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing uh, the Lord's death until he comes. Some versions will even say, uh, as often, thank you, as often as you eat or drink, do this in remembrance of me. You know, communion can be, I don't know how many times a, a day you eat, three times a day, snacks in between or whatever. Communion can be, and every time you sit down, we give thanks, right? You think about that with your children. When we pray over our food, we are giving thanks. And Jesus instructs us there, as often as you do this, remember me. Jesus, I thank you for your body that was broken for my healing. I thank you for your blood that was shed for my salvation. And so at Abundant Life, yes, we do it every first uh, Sunday of the month. We want to do this corporately. And of course, again, as I was getting back to last month, you know, we had our visitors who were here and it was just a full Sunday. And I was talking to some folks and I said, you know, it can't be such a ritualistic thing that we miss it and why did we do that? At the same time, we can't treat it so flippantly that, oh, well, we're just not going to have communion this month. There's too much going on. We don't want to get into that vein either. But we want to remember every time we eat and drink. I know people who will receive communion with their families every single day. And for them, it still has meaning because they wake up and they realize God healed me X number of years ago from cancer, from this or that. So I want to thank God every single day that I still have breath in my lungs. So they'll do it as a family every single day. Jesus just said, as often as you eat or drink, do this in remembrance of me. There's a verse in the Old Testament too that talks about, he will bless our bread and water and take sickness and disease from amongst us. So when I pray over a meal, normally I'll include that phrase, Lord, we thank you for this meal that we're about to receive today. God, I thank you for the covenant that you've made with us. We ask your blessings on this food. Lord, I thank you. Your word promises that you will remove sickness and disease from among my family today. That's praying the scripture. And Jesus atoned for that on the cross. He made uh, the availability for that on the cross. So we come together the first Sunday of every month to remember and yes, to celebrate the Lord's death. There is power in the blood of Jesus. Amen. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you've been in church for a long time, these songs are kind of coming back. Um, you know, but there is power in the blood of Jesus. I thank God every day that yes, I may have physical pain, but he's made a way for me to be healed. I thank God every single day that he saved me from me.
And you've heard, we're going to talk about this here in just a few moments with the message today. I wasn't a horrible person growing up. My mom, I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my mom credit, okay? I'm not patting myself on the back. But my mom did a pretty good job in making sure we knew what was right or wrong or experiencing the pain thereof of not doing right or wrong. I've said this a million times too, and I'm going to say it again. But yet I was still doomed to the same hell without the blood of Jesus Christ, even though I did good things. But it's because of the blood of Jesus. There's power in that, Lisa. Today, if you are experiencing any type of physical discomfort, an area in your body that needs healing, I want you to take this bread here in just a few moments and recognize that this is a statement of faith. As you're receiving of the bread today, you're thanking God for his body that was broken by his stripes we were made healed, whole. We were, we were healed. That's past tense. The work was done. Receive of healing today. As we receive of the, ju uh, the juice here in just a few moments, which represents the blood of Jesus. If you're not saved today, this is the only requirement that we have here at Abundant Life. You don't have to be a member to receive of communion. Um, but we just say this. If you're going to receive communion, the Bible talks about don't do it unworthily. In other words, you need to know who Jesus is as Lord of your life. So you can do that right now. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior today. And you can freely take of communion. And then after the service, please let us know that that was you, that you received Jesus today. So go ahead and hold your bread, if you would. Just hold it up uh, before the Lord. Father, we thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ that made way for us to receive healing today. Lord, there are several that are sick during this season. And God, I thank you that you've made, way, uh, made a way where we could receive health. We receive your body today, the symbol of your broken body today. In Jesus' name, you can receive the bread. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to follow after the plan of your Father, that God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God, we thank you for eternal life today. And if there's one who's just received you today, making that first time commitment, God, I thank you that you rejoice. The angels of heaven rejoice today. We receive of the symbol of your blood today. Thank you for our salvation in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. While you're passing your cups to the end of the aisle, uh, we're, we're getting ready to transition into a video here in just a moment. But I got to tell you some exciting news. Last Sunday and then again on Friday, we had uh, a total of two people this week that I'm aware of who gave their heart to Jesus for the very first time. Amen. Praise God for that. Jesus, he, he's still in the saving business today. This wasn't a one, it was a one-time act, but it wasn't a one-time whoever was just standing around. All who call upon the name of the Lord they shall be saved. So praise God that salvation uh, has been here today. Amen? Amen. Well, you can turn your attention to the screen. We're going to see this video. Worship. Everybody worship. 
everyone, everywhere worships something. Whatever captivates the heart's affections, the mind's attention, and the soul's ambition essentially has our worship. We worship everything from pop icons to our jobs to our favorite sports team. While the object and method of worship vary, the act of worship does not. Oftentimes, our worship is focused on ourselves. The pursuit of fame, wealth, and personal satisfaction becomes the focus of our wants and desires. But no matter how much we worship these things, they can never satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. God has uniquely designed us with meaning and purpose. He's divinely created us in his own image. When we worship the created and not the creator, we are left unfulfilled and unsatisfied. We deny God the worship that is rightfully his. When we step into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus, our relationship with God should become elevated above every other ambition, every other affection, and every other activity. It should change everything we do. It begins to change the words we say, the decisions we make, the way we view our circumstances and see the people around us. It changes our goals, desires, and pursuits. Instead of searching for meaning and purpose in our life, it becomes the meaning and purpose of our life. Worshiping God is not limited to singing a song on Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle lived out in reverence to God wherever he has placed you. There is no sacred and secular divide. Worship involves all of our lives, not just one part. Not just one part. That means we worship as we work, as we parent, as we go to school, as we gather around the table, as we suffer, as we compete, as we love, as we seek, as we create. All that we believe, think, say, and do should flow from our beating heart of worship. So what is worship? It's the outpouring of our lives, led by the Spirit and rooted in God's truth, devoting all we are and all we do to Him, our Creator. It's ascribing worthiness to the one who alone is worthy. Amen. Amen. Did she say something about worshiping sports teams? Did anybody else catch that? Can you see that, Rachel? <laughs> Today, I, um, I bought this jacket. By the way, I like to brag on bargains. This was a 90% off $17.50 jacket. Right, all the ladies who are like bargain shoppers are like, you go, boy. I was pretty excited, right, Rachel? At least you can compliment me on that. Um, actually, I had no intentions of purchasing this as a Tar Heel victory celebration. Now, granted, I know we have a Monday night game. We've still got to make it through that. Hopefully, we play better than we did last night, right? But this was supposed to be a spring jacket, so this is not me worshiping the Tar Heels, but she did say you can, you know, worship God through competition and all those things. So that's all it is, Rachel. I promise it's not gloating or anything like that. I'll... <laughs> I know I'm going to pay for that one because now the Tar Heels are going to lose tomorrow night because David was <laughs> bragging about it. So in the event that they do win tomorrow night, you may see this jacket again next week, Hope. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, let's get serious here. Let's get serious. We um, are going through our core values here at Abundant Life. Um, and so we're taking a series, and each series is going to point to one of our six core values. We talked about at the beginning of the year, we're just casting vision for the year that, you know, we know that we have these core values. What's important, we know what these core values core values are because as abundant life if we have core values but yet we don't know what they are we can't live those things out and of course they're based on the word of God well this one is leading up to and consisting of we worship God in everyday life that's what we do we worship God our lives are a worship to God now Sarah and the team I mean I just I looked out today and I saw you all just worshiping God Worship, it does happen through song as well. There's something about music that causes us. You notice how music can either, one, it can make you angry, right? There are certain types of music that just make you angry. There's other types of music that make you sleepy. There's types of music that make you happy, uh, old happy day, you know, different things like that. Music has an effect on our soul, God created music, so there's something about coming together and singing songs that, that cause us to, uh, or help us to enter in to the throne room of God. Let me use that word, it helps us to enter in. So, but we're talking about an everyday type of life. I appreciate Matt uh, preaching last, uh, last week, Pastor Matt preaching. He did a great job, and uh, they're back there with the children today, but pat him on the back, um, whenever you see him here in just a little bit, especially parents who have to go pick up your kids. But he talked about uh, radical grace. We're going to follow that up today talking about extravagant worship, okay? Now, why do we call it radical grace? Well, there's, there's a type of grace, right? I have, um, or I should say, my wife has grace for on me whenever I leave my socks laying beside the bed or whatever. I don't pick this up. She has grace most of the time. Sometimes she'll leave it there until I, you know, go back and pick up my stuff or whatever, um, which it should be my responsibility, right? It's not her responsibility to pick up after me. It's my responsibility. But she has grace at times. Really what it is, she's tired of walking around, tired of seeing them laying there, but she will have grace. But there's something about the grace that God gave that surpasses that. It's not just your average type of grace. The fact that he would send his sinless son to die for me, a wretched sinner, that's radical. How many people at that time would have sacrificed their son for a friend? That, that's, we don't even think about that. You, you want me to give up one of my kids for you? Can I be honest just for a moment? You're crazy. I'm not going to give up my kid for anybody. That's such a foreign thought. And that's why this whole idea that Matt was talking on last week is called radical grace. This was a new concept, right? What does radical grace have to do with extravagant worship? I don't know about you. We're going to see this here in just a moment. But when I come to the realization of what God, not only what God saved me from, but what he gave me to, uh, uh, saved me to, for, that just causes me to say, thank you, God. And we're going to see here in just a few moments, you know, we, we all come from different backgrounds. Uh, some of us got saved a little later in life. Some of us, honestly, were quite the hellions growing up. 
I mean, we sinned and sinned and sinned and did this and did that and did the other thing, and there's no way God would save us. You know, we're going to find out through Scripture that there's a little bit more of an appreciation there. Because, you, man, I did this, I did that. How, God, how could you even love someone like me? It's not a fire alarm. We're all good. <laughs> how could you even love someone like me? And that's why we're going to talk about worship. It leads us to worship. So with this series here, the idea of using the title Anchor, and of course this is a, a study that Louis Giglio had done, it shows us the major ideas of the gospel. There are three things that hold us as we live this life. And of course it's that whole idea of um, uh, extravagant grace, uh, I'm sorry, radical grace, uh, extravagant worship. Next week we're going to talk about the glory of God on Palm Sunday. Uh, we'll talk about that. And all of this leads up to Easter and the fact that we worship a risen Savior. We worship a risen King. Man, there's just something inside that, you, that just gets you excited. It should get you excited because you recognize because Jesus rose from the dead, that's my assurance that as I have placed my hope and my faith and my belief in him and my trust in him, he will raise me from the dead too. Now, I hope I get to go through the rapture. That's, I think we all hope that, right? Um, but if not, he will raise me from the dead. That's our assurance. I've had people, I've had friends who have gone on, who have died before me, and I can't wait to see them. Most importantly, I can't wait to see Jesus. And that causes me to worship. That causes me to worship him. He brought us to himself by the blood of Jesus Christ. Where sin makes us spiritually dead, Christ makes us alive. Amen. He makes us alive. Once you've received radical grace, it naturally leads to extravagant worship. It becomes another anchor that holds us. So why do we like to come here on Sunday morning and we start out singing together? Because it's an anchor for us. We're worshiping Jesus. We're praising God for his son. Let me make this statement here. If grace is average, then we should worship average, right? Just thank you, Lord. However, if grace is radical, like Matt was talking about last week, our worship should be extravagant. Now, I'm not talking necessarily, we don't have chandeliers in here. They got ripped down. I'm just teasing. We don't swing from chandeliers either. <laughs> um. I'm not necessarily talking about that type of extravagance. What is worship? It's your everyday life of praise before God. Okay, now we express it differently. But if grace is radical, then our worship to God should be extravagant. I do love it when we're singing together. Some of you will, you'll just raise your hands. You'll spin and twirl. You know, you'll do all these things. Some of you are very vocal in the middle of worship. We hear you shouting. And I got to tell you, that just, that encourages the worship team as you're doing that. We just want to be able to continue to lead you in that. Um, last night, as a matter of fact, it was 1130 or something like that. And when the Tar Heels won, first of all, I thought they were going to lose. But when they won, I could not scream because my kids were asleep. All right? I was pretty excited. Matter of fact, I ran up the hallway and back down. Nathan said I woke him up running up the hallway and down. But it was more of like one of these type of things instead of, you know, I was excited. But here's the reality. 
The Tar Heels didn't die for my sins, so why should my response be more for them than it is for God? Amen. The Panthers didn't die for my sins, so why should my response at the ball field be more for them than it is for my God? Yeah. Often, and no rest driver, that's true too. And oftentimes we will even spend more money on those things than we do giving to the Lord. I'm stepping on my toes here. Yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself too. But think about that for a moment. It used to really weird me out. <laughs> When I would see people, and I came, you have to understand the church I came from as a kid, and I think a lot of us in Pentecostalism, especially a long time ago, there would be people running up and down the aisle, and they were excited. That used to weird me out. I got to be honest with you. But there came a point where I realized God had set them free from something that would have ended their life. And who was I to judge them for their excitement? We don't do things like running up and down the aisles, but I'll tell you what, if you decided you wanted to do that, I wouldn't judge you because I don't know what God has done in your life that has set you free. Amen? <laughs> yes, it, it's true. It's true. Worship is our response, both corporate and personal, to God. For who he is and what he's done expressed in and by the things that we say and the way that we live. That's what worship is. By def this definition, yes, our worship should be expressive. But it also, also should show out in the way that we live. So here's the thing. When the people are jumping up and down and excited and happy and Monday they go back and they're living the old sinful life they used to live, did God do a work in them? See, that's what worship is. It's your everyday life, not just your show out on Sunday. It's an everyday thing. My life should be changed because of what I receive here this morning, what I receive in my morning devotions from God. Am I changing? I can't compare myself to Kevin's... Um, spiritual maturity and where he is. He may be so much further than me. He may be less than me in his spiritual maturity. But when I began comparing myself to Kevin, I'm no longer looking at the standard of God's holiness. And because he has made me holy, and I look back and I say, I'm not the same David that I was six months ago. Look where God has brought me. I'm not the same David that I was 15 years ago. Look where God has brought me. And I'm not going back any further than that because it'll make me sound old. Look where God has brought me, Miss Beth. It's exciting. We worship God in everyday life, and it's our response to His grace. Worship should be our response to His grace. Our response of worship is because of who He is. See, worship never begins with me. I just don't feel like it today. It's been a rough morning. You just don't even know, Pastor. You don't even know. It doesn't matter. Worship is not about me and how I feel. David said this over and over. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He wasn't having a good day. Look at the good things God has done for me. Amen. I have to worship him. 
I have to give him honor. I have to give him praise. Somebody, what has God, this, this is a lightning round, so this can only take like 20 seconds a person. What has God done for you? Heal me. He's healed you. Set, me free. Set you free. Peace. Saved, from Saved from cancer. Amen for that. Yes, restores every day. One more. Protects me and answers prayer. We got a bonus on that one. Amen. Doesn't that excite you? To know what God has done? We're going to talk about the different people here in just a moment because there are thinkers and there are feelers. Usually the feelers, they'll be the ones who talk out. The thinkers, we're thinking about it just a little bit. We don't necessarily want to express what we're saying. We're usually the ones who are quieter, you know. So we'll talk about that here in just a few moments. But even the thinkers are thinking, oh, Lord's been good to me. Today, I've decided to worship. It starts when he reveals himself to me. I'm responding to him and how he has revealed himself. Now, um, keep in mind, when Jesus revealed himself to you, when you first got saved, you were a blatant sinner. But yet the grace of God drew you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he called us and he drew, he drew us to himself. In the middle of that death that I was headed towards, he saved me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Here's the main point today. There's a direct connection between our appreciation of grace and our expression of worship. Now, let me just make this statement. This is something I just thought of. We don't ever glorify sin. I used to do this. I used to do that. And, you know, it's kind of a badge that we wear. Boy, I was a terrible sinner, right? That's not what we're wanting to do. But it's okay to have a recognition of, man, I was in some bad shape. And God saved me. Look what he brought me out of. I was doomed to hell, whether I was the worst sinner that ever was or whether I was a good little boy or girl. Before Jesus, I was a sinner, and he saved me. And there's a, that, that direct connection between our appreciation of grace and our expression of worship is it's okay to look back and say, man, God, you brought me a long way, and all I can do is thank you for that. Extravagant worship is not about your personality. It's not about your background. It's not about your age. It's not about your gender. It's not about your denomination. It's not about your income. It's not about you. It's about understanding grace. How much do you understand and appreciate what God has done for you? We may not necessarily jump up and run down the aisle, right? I may or may not do that in my private times with the Lord. <laughs> God, I just have to thank you. There's even those, I mean, let me take a break here for a moment. There's even those times, and I got this from my, my mentor, my pastor. We can enter into seasons of maybe being a little bit depressed. I'm not saying it's a medical, clinical depression, but just times we're just not feeling it. And my pastor told me, he said that there was a season, we had gone through something pretty traumatic at the church where we were, and um, 
there were like six months where he, he was pressing into the Lord and pressing into the Lord, and he wasn't feeling it. But here's what God, him, God told him to do, and I wish this just came to me, so I wish I could think of the scripture, but it's not coming to me. But anyway, it said something like this. He would be sitting in his office, and he would read this scripture, how he lifted me up. That, that's it. He lifted me up. He turned me around, and he placed my feet on solid ground. Amen. And for six months, he would do this. And some mornings it was like this. He would get into his office. He lifted me up. He turned me around. He placed my feet on solid ground. And other mornings, as God was getting to him, it was more like this. He lifted me up, and he turned me around. And he placed my feet on solid ground. And it began to get into his spirit. You may need to do that this week. This is a freebie. It's not part of the notes. You may need to do this this week. You're in a moment where your finances, your kids, your relationship, your job, you're just thinking, Lord, your spirit lifts me up and it turns me around. My feet are set on solid ground. And you wait. Even you thinkers out there, you're not a, there's not an emotional bone in your body. You know who I'm talking about, too. Don't elbow people. You may do this in the privacy of your own home, but I pray that you do it. Why? Because it's a response of what God has done. Lord, you've lifted me up, and you've turned me around. You've placed my feet on solid ground. And I live to worship you. Amen? Take that home with you this week. Okay, let's get to this. There are two kinds of people, the feelers and the thinkers. The feelers are the ones who are uber-expressive. Woohoo! <laughs> You'll hear things like that out of them. The thinkers, they analyze and they process things. Okay? Some of you are a mix of both. Feelers shouldn't judge thinkers by saying you're too uptight. You need to get some expression in you. Look alive. No, they're thinking through what God has done. We can't judge. On the <laughs> you just outed yourself, Lisa. She's all sorry. <laughs> there you go. Um, thinkers shouldn't judge feelers by saying you're too emotional. You don't know what they've been through. They just process it different than you do. Their turning around is a little bit more exuberant than yours. There may be a two-step in there. I don't want to do that because I'll fall off the stage. It would not be pretty. Be free to be who you are. Honestly, the way you express isn't the issue anyway. What kind of grace have you received? Respond in worship to God. The songs that we sang this morning, I will exalt the one who lifted me out of the miry clay to heights of eagle's wings. Man, you think about what God brought you from. Amazing grace. My chains are gone. Some of you have been bound by addiction for years, and God set you free. Amen. I have no desire for that. Uh, maybe it's not even a sinful thing. Maybe it's just something that's not good for you, but God set you free. Praise God for that. All right, let's look at the word here. Look, Luke 7. If you'll turn to Luke 7 with me.
God is good. Y'all about to be getting Pentecostal up in here. <laughs> Luke 7:36 is where we're going to start. We'll go through verse uh, 42. I want to say this statement one more time before we read. There's a direct correlation between your appreciation of grace and your expression. Whether it's jumping, shouting, running, tears. Thinkers are usually, you know, maybe that's as emotional as they'll get. Uh, bowing down, praying, or pacing. That's the kind of guy, whenever I'm praying... You know, I'm a pacer when I pray. When I talk on the phone, I'm a pacer too. And sometimes I'm talking to people on the phone and I'm here at the church and I'll walk away from the office and I got the Wi-Fi phone thing going on and I'll get out of Wi-Fi and I drop them. I'm like, so sorry, I need to sit down. What I'm doing? Expression. Luke 7, 36 through 42. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman, wasn't just a woman, it was an immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said, when the Pharisee, I'm sorry, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Right? Now that's kind of creepy right there. You know, you're thinking something, what in the world are they thinking? And they say, um, I know what you're thinking right now, but parents have this ability to don't look at me in that tone of thought, you know. <laughs> Wash your brain out with soap, is that? <laughs> then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say. What's Simon going? Okay, go ahead, teacher. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Think about debt for a moment. Man, if somebody were just to forgive your debt, some of you have a lot of debt, some of you have a little debt, some of you have no debt. Maybe there was a time in your life where you did have debt. But man, when that was paid off, free. Think about that on an eternal scale. Your sin has been paid for. Yeah, but it was this much. You're going to appreciate it that much more. Jesus was telling the gospel here. He was telling the story of a debt that could not be repaid. But notice that he canceled both debts, small and large. So whether your sins were many or few, you have a debt that dooms you to hell. The gospel's not about fair. It's about the grace of God. It's not. The gospel's not about fair. It's about the grace of God. Yeah, but God, they were such a bad sinner. They killed people. They did this. They did that. I told a lie now and then. The gospel's not about fair. It's about salvation. 
Let's keep going here. Uh, Verse 42, the last part of that. Who do you suppose loved him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said, that's right. The gift of grace in in this setting isn't necessarily more. It's the understanding of the debt forgiven. When you grasp hold of and you get an understanding of what has been forgiven, you can't help but worship. And that's why you may see people who lived a very hard, difficult life, they can't help but be expressive even if they were thinkers to begin with. And that may not necessarily be the case whether you're a thinker or a feeler. It's just there's an understanding of I had all this on my account and it's been wiped clean. So it's the understanding. God's grace wasn't more. It's the understanding because his grace was made available to everybody. And it saves each and every one of us. Let's keep going verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said, the sinful woman, he turned to her and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now, this was customary back in the day. When people would come into your home, you would wash their feet. They had sandals. It was dusty. They didn't have nice paved roads. Feet would be dirty. You didn't even greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little, uh, little only shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The house of God is a house of grace. Jesus was in this home and it was a place of grace. The vile sinner was welcome into the presence of Jesus to receive grace. Our church... And, and I think we do. We've seen this on display. Our church should love it when the vilest of sinners come through these doors. Matter of fact, Father, fill these seats. There's some empty seats in here. We've, we've been, have you noticed we've been filling up a lot lately? We're, I think we're a little bit lower today. Man, we've been filling up lately. We've been thinking, what are we going to do for future? We need to pray about that, right? But there are some empty seats here. And here's my prayer. Lord, send sinners into this house so that they may hear the gospel and receive Jesus. Church is reality a hospital, okay? Yes, we do come in here. We come in here to encourage one another. We come in here to receive the word of God. But man, there's some wounds and some bandages that once we've been saved that need to be healed. Let the Holy Spirit work through you. That grace of God is available for that too. Lord, send sinners into this house that they may know your grace. King David proclaimed that he would not offer a sacrifice to God that cost him nothing. It cost him. The ten lepers were healed. One recognized the miracle and returned and fell at Jesus' feet. Did you notice this woman, how many references it says that she anointed his feet, she kissed his feet, she wiped his feet. She bowed before the Savior. An act of worship. When this leper returned, it wasn't a handshake. It wasn't a great big bear hug. Dude, you healed me. No, it was a humbling position 
of bowing before the king who had delivered him. Here's another thing that I pray. Here in this church, during worship, I want to free you up to do something, okay? Everybody got your ears on? If you're in the middle of worship and you just recognize what God has done, feel free to come to these altars and bow down and just worship. It's not going to disrupt our service. Church doesn't work when only one out of ten to worship Jesus for what he has done. That's why I love Sunday mornings. We come in here, Lord, it's been kind of a difficult week, but thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. How does this revelation, we're going to wrap this up here with uh, just a couple quick points here, just four quick points. How does this revelation impact how we live? One, it impacts the way we sing and we worship. You get fired up when you know what God has freed you from. I want to ask you some questions, okay? And feel free to put on your steel toe shoes for this because I had to, okay? Let me ask you some questions. Was getting ready for church a chore this morning? I'm not sure if I even want to go. Is singing and worshiping God boring? Do you ask yourself what's the point even? Was getting ready for church a celebration? Does singing help you to express your thankfulness? See, here's the thing. You may not even know the songs that we sing. It may not even be your style. Excuse me. May not even be your style. Some of these songs are new, but you can express your love to God even if it's not your style. That's why we try to have a variety. But again, worship is not about me. It's about in any situation... I can worship God. Now, I got to tell you, you guys know me. I grew up, uh, loved being on a horse farm. I worked there in my elementary, junior high, and early high school. I was able to be on a horse farm. I loved it. But I cannot stand country music, except for pontoon. That's a pretty cool song. On the pontoon. That's one of the cool country songs that I can handle. (laughs) Jumping off the back. Don't act like you don't want to. You know what I mean? Yes. So... But I should be able, and there's Christian country music, you know. Can I worship God to that? I better. It's about, and it's not about the music. It's about who God is. Number two, it impacts the way we give. It debunks the 10% rule. Okay, if you're thinking, how much do I have to give? That's how much do I get to give? Not to line the pockets of the pastor, okay? It's not about that. It's not about, well, what does that church do? Why is the church always asking for my money? Well, I don't think, there are churches that do that, okay? You can recognize those churches and ask God what you're supposed to do. Your giving is not proportional to your earning. It's proportional to the grace of God, Here's some staggering statistics that I saw this week. The average Christian, now this is across the board, and I, some of these statistics can be a little, depending on whether it's um, you know, the denomination or whatever it is, but the average Christian gives 1% to 3% of their annual income. That's the average. And this is not about shaming, okay? We're all in a different place. So as you hear this, what is God speaking to you? A small minority gives 10%. Um, I, don't know, I, meant, I was going to ask Miss Gail what our statistics were just so I could share that day, but I didn't. I, I think we're uh, a little bit above 
average. Praise God for that. But again, it's not about shaming. It's about perspective because God so loved the world that he gave his son. So when I recognize the grace that God has given me, I realize that my heart is not as attached to the money as it is to God. That's what it's about. Number three, it impacts the way we serve. Have you backed out of how God, how you're serving God in his house? I just want to ask that. I just, I can't do what I used to do. I can't do this. Now, now granted, some of you are involved in 1,800 areas here in the church. You're overdoing it. (laughs) But that's where the rest of us need to step up. There's a role for every single person at Abundant Life here at this church. And it's not necessarily about Abundant Life. Where has God called you in the community? In three weeks, we're going to be having a Gideon presentation. We have three guys at our church and their wives who are involved with the Gideon's ministry. You know, we have people who are at the Serenity House. We have people who are at the Community Pregnancy Center. Serve the Lord. I just don't have time. Well, sometimes that's true. What can I stop that's preventing me from serving the Lord? No job should be beneath you. Be motivated by the grace of God. So we let God, the grace of God impact the way we sing, we give, we serve, and finally, the way we speak. How much of your words are spent on complaining? How much of my words are spent on complaining? There is plenty to complain about. There is. The refs were horrible. My boss doesn't know what he's doing. My children are just, if they only had a clue... My spouse, if she could just, the pastor, if he, the leader of that ministry should, our government. (laughs) Let's don't open that can of worms, okay? We are a blessed people. I want you to look at your neighbor just real quick. Just glance at him. Look at your neighbor. Your neighbor and you are in the 1% of the world's wealth. We were blessed here in America. We are in the one, but you haven't seen my bills. It doesn't matter. We're still in the 1% of the world's wealth. You go to some of these, you go to Jamaica, we saw about Niger, and some of those are extreme. Jamaica's not necessarily extreme like Niger. But man, we are blessed. We have the opportunity to drive rather than walk or ride bikes. Amen, right? (laughs) We're just, we're so blessed. What are our words saying? Whatever today holds, Miss Vicki, if you could come on, we're going to close this out. Whatever today holds, I am blessed. And it may be one of these. Lord, you pick me up, you turn me around. And you place my feet on solid ground. I almost want to get everybody to do that. And the feelers would be all for it. But the thinkers would be like, you've got to be kidding me. So, but can we stand up? <laughs> I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But we are loved by God. And his grace, man, that just. Amen. I hear you, feeler. <laughs> I'm a child of the king. Yes. He's placed a song in my heart. 
And I may not be able to sing good, but I can sing it out because he saved me. And it causes me to want to worship. It causes me to want to, yes, at times even shout, run up and down the hallway. If I can do it for my sports team, I should at least be able to give more than that effort to God. If I'm able to, you're a thinker. If I'm able to think about this, 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 I have a little bit of thinker in me too, just a little bit. What do we thinkers do? We worry. We dwell on things. Lord, you've given me peace. You tell me to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to let my request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard my heart for you feelers and my mind for you thinkers through Christ Jesus. Amen? God's given us reason to worship. Can we just do that for a moment? Just lift your hands and just tell the Lord how good he's been. Lord, you've been so good to us today. And we thank you. We worship you. God, I thank you for my family. Lord, I thank you for my job. I thank you for the opportunity to minister. Lord, I thank you for my neighbors. God, I thank you for your grace on my health. Lord, I thank you that in the difficult times, you have been there. Lord, you have lifted me up. You've turned me around. You've placed our feet on solid ground. God, you are good. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand clap this morning. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, if you made, as we were talking in communion, if you made a profession of faith, in other words, you received Jesus as your personal Savior, you rededicated your life to him today, uh, either one of those two, here's what Scripture says. You need to tell somebody. Uh, Mr. Wayne and Miss Vicki um, are going to be down front. Matter of fact, Tim, if you could get some music ready, um, Miss Vicki's going to be coming down in just a moment. They're going to be down here to pray for you. And uh, matter of fact, Mr. Larry, Mr. Larry, Miss Gail, if you guys could be available um, as well, Dean and Rachel, if you guys, just in case there's an overflow of people. <laughs> Sometimes we just got to tell of the good things God has done too. But I invite you to come down today and receive and, and share what God has done in your life. We have some Bibles over here. If you're making a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, I just got a new shipment in this week. They still have the plastic on them. But if you're making a first-time decision for Jesus, we want to give you this Bible that tells you how to live this Christian life. It is a new believer's Bible, first steps for new Christians. As a matter of fact, can I even say this? If you don't have a Bible, will you please come down and get one? I've got plenty. We, we've got plenty. We can buy more Bibles. It's a key to life. All right, I'm going to keep on preaching. So I'm going to turn this over to Mr. Stone. He's going to dismiss us this morning. Uh, Stash and I will see you in the back. We love you.